Psalms 54 and 55, when you feel betrayed. You ever been there? Anybody ever betrayed you? You shared a confidence and they went and told somebody that they weren't supposed to tell. Somebody made a vow, a promise to you at a church or before justice of the peace one day and said that they would love and honor till death till you part and there was a betrayal, an affair, something that broke apart your home. Could have been that somebody promised you a, a raise or a position or a job and you didn't get it and you felt betrayed. It's a common problem. You see, because when you lose biblical values, when you lose an understanding that there's a right and wrong and everything's not relative, then honesty and integrity and loyalty go out the door. Then you no longer have a reason to be a person of your word because nobody's word matters. One of the best books I ever read on this, I actually got a chance to help uh, contribute some material to it uh, was Ron Dunn's book on surviving friendly fire where he talked about being wounded in the house of my friends the first time he ever preached that was here at a noonday service back in the early 90s uh, little did I know and when he was working on that book that I would also uh, be faced with some of those things uh, it has always amazed me and I'm just being real honest because I'm preaching on betrayal. It has always amazed me when a church will pay the salary and the benefits and bless and provide for a staff member, and that staff member leaves and shoots over his shoulder while people are standing in the bloodbath that they leave behind them. That's a betrayal. When a staff member of a church or a pastor of a church does not leave well, it's a betrayal of the trust that has been put into them by that church. We had that on a couple of occasions in the 90s. I took a lot of bullets. I remember standing in my office one day with a man who left and who was as ugly as any man could have been. In fact, I questioned his salvation. And I said, while you walk off the field thinking that you're a hero in this war, you're leaving the bodies of children all behind you and men and women you see, betrayal is something none of us expect, but it does happen to us. It's going, if you live long enough, somebody's going to betray you. Somebody's going to turn on you. And, it, and where it hurts the most is if it's a friend or a family member. When somebody does something that you were not anticipating was going to happen, and they turn quickly on you, and all of a sudden you wonder, what happened? Well, David is feeling this. You, you remember David was betrayed and Jesus was betrayed. And you want to talk about betrayal, nobody trumps Jesus on this one. Amen. I mean, somebody in his inner circle turns on him and sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. So God knows something about betrayal. And when he allowed David to write these words in Psalm 54 and 55, he's giving us 
some instructions uh, that we need to follow about how we are to live. Now, the historical setting for this is 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 26. That's for Psalm 54. We're going to get into Psalm 55 in just a moment. But, but let's just kind of walk through David here. In Psalm 52, he's hunted by the Edomites. The, these are foreigners that are coming after him. Uh, David is being pursued. This is a time when, when, when he is on the run for his life. Now, now, these are foreigners, but in Psalm 54, he's betrayed by the people of Ziph, who are people of the tribe of Judah. These are people in his own tribe. The, these are not strangers. These are not foreigners that are after him. These are his own people. In fact, 1 Samuel 23, 19, and 20 says that the Zith gave very specific directions to Saul on where they could find David so he could kill him. These are not the kind of people you want at the family reunion. I mean, these folks are mean, and they're out to improve their position with Saul at the expense of David's life if Saul can catch him. Now, it's one thing to be betrayed by the enemy, by the Edomites. It's another thing to be betrayed by your own people. Here is David who is, is being betrayed. And then in Psalm 55, he's betrayed by a close friend. And we're going to see who that was in just a moment. In fact, this is a person that he went to church with, that they shared moments of worship together. And, and so David knows about this betrayal, but David also learned something in the betrayal that we need to learn. He learned that he has a God who will never leave you and never forsake you. While others may, God never will. So let's look at the God who stands with the betrayed. I, I love the words in the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. In that hymn, it says, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Now look at Psalm 54 and verse 1. Save me, O God, by your name. And vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Selah, think about it. You ever been in that situation where you've needed to respond to something where people were pursuing you and you needed God. This is what David does. David, right off the bat, gives us an example. Prayer first. Not complaining, not griping. Prayer first. He goes to God and he goes to God's name. In fact, in the Hebrew, it says, Oh God, save me, vindicate me. Oh God, hear my prayer. I mean, he's talking to God. He's not talking to his neighbor. He's not at Pearly's telling everybody at the table there. He's not at Cracker Barrel. He's not on the golf course talking about it. He's talking to God. He's telling God the issue that he has with these people that are pursuing him and that have portrayed him. And in fact, when he says, oh God, that's the name Elohim, which is the most common used name for God. But in verse 6, he changes it. In verse 6, he says, I will give thanks to your name, O Jehovah. The, the I am God of Exodus, the one who is present tense, the one who is always there. In other words, 
he's prayed to God Elohim, the most familiar name, but as he goes deeper in his prayer, he calls on the God who is present tense to be present in that moment in his life. When he wanted to bail, maybe when he wanted revenge, remember, David could have gotten revenge, but he didn't. It is important to remember that David could have responded in his flesh, but the first thing he did was get a perspective in the realm of prayer. And he asked God to hear, which is an acknowledgement of his desperation and his despondency. Here's, here's David saying, God, you need to hear me. Now, here's what you need to understand. We are not exempt from trouble. Amen. I know that you can watch a television preacher who will tell you that you're exempt from trouble. Let me just tell you the Greek word for that guy. He's a liar. He must live inside a fortress with Uzis. He's a liar because you're going to have trouble. How many of you are breathing right now? Everybody breathing? You're going to have trouble. Life's not going to always go right. Life's not going to always be fair. Somebody's going to betray you. Somebody's going to betray a confidence. Somebody's going to pull the rug out from under you. He, he asked God to hear because he knows that we will have trouble and that God has already anticipated that the trouble's coming. I mean, God's not surprised by our troubles. I mean, you know, God's not sitting there going, wow, that, that caught me off guard. I, I didn't know they were going to do that to you, David. I'm sorry. I was over here checking on somebody else. I, I, I missed that moment. It wasn't on my, my day planner. God knows we're going to have trouble, but he, he still wants God to hear him. He, he's still crying out to God. You, you see, there are false friends that easily turn to foes. Every one of us in this room, every one of us, have had people that we thought were friends that turned on us. Every one of us have. It's nothing unusual. You, you don't get a badge. You don't get a diploma to say, I'm the only person in the world that's ever had anybody turn on me. No, everybody's had it. We all get the badge. Okay, but let's not parade it around. David has given us an honest way to approach this. The Ziphites were spies for Saul. They were, in fact, just nothing more than, than bounty hunters. And so he, he describes the issue in verse 3. Strangers and violent men are trying to kill me. So he's describing the issue in verse 3. Now, he's not saying, Lord, there are just some people out there that don't like me. He said, Lord, they're trying to kill me. These people are violent. They put a bounty on my head. They're, they're letting Saul know where I am. They're, they're going after me. Thirdly, he remembered God in verse 4. He remembered God in verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Kind of reminds you of the New Testament verse. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. The Lord's my helper. He remembers God. Now, one of the things that happens to us is when we get in a crisis and when we get in a pinch and when we're feeling betrayed, you know, the last thing we remember is God, except to complain. He says, but God, you're my helper. You're the sustainer of my soul. And then he makes a prayer request in verse 5. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. That word destroy is a tough, tough word. It's a tough word. It means annihilate them. Now we're talking. 
David's a redneck with a gun rack. I mean, he's, you know, let's go for it, man. Lord, you annihilate it. It means to exterminate. Now look, David didn't try to play God. He was kind of trying to help God out a little bit at this point, but he prays that God would settle the issue. He says, Lord, the only way, this, the only way David sees is it can be settled at that point in his life is, is God's got to kill him or he's going to be killed. That's the only way he can see out of this. And, and he's been betrayed. And, and so he prays, and by the way, God does take care of him. Now, here's an important thing for you to remember. We are to pray for our enemies, and we are to love our enemies, but don't get sloppy in your theology. When you pray for your enemies and when you love your enemies, you can still pray for justice to be done. Because all you've got, folks, is your character. And if somebody assassinates your character, they're trying to destroy your life. They're, they're not, they don't have just an agenda. They have an agenda to destroy you. And if you've been betrayed by somebody that's trying to destroy your life and to destroy your witness and to destroy your testimony, you can ask God for justice. I'm not saying ask God to kill them. Although I bet there's some of us in this room that have done that. <laughs> yeah, I heard Jerry Clower say one time, first time I ever heard Jerry Clower, he had on a bright lemon yellow suit. You could see, it looked like the Goodyear blimp. I mean, it just, you know, and, and he said, he said, there have been a lot of times when I've said, Lord, if you just let me be God for five minutes, I could straighten out a lot of stuff in this world. And wouldn't we all like to be God for about five minutes to straighten out our lives? But then all we do is mess them up because we can't see the way God sees. I, I grew up watching cartoons. In fact, even in my dad's store, we had a little black and white TV because we used to like to watch on Saturdays when I was working as a kid, we used to like to watch Dizzy Dean and Pee Wee Reese called the doubleheader. And uh, it, it was, Dizzy Dean was a just, he slaughtered the King's English, but he's the best baseball announcer ever. But before the baseball games came on, when the store was kind of quiet, uh, I had cartoons on it. One of the cartoons I loved was The Roadrunner. Anybody remember The Roadrunner? You mean, you know, remember, remember him? And it didn't matter what, by the way, don't ever buy anything from Acme. Because <laughs> it never works for what it's intended to do. And they don't offer a refund. The Roadrunner would go and get all this stuff from Acme that he's going to kill the, the, the coyote would get all this stuff to kill the Roadrunner. And every time the Roadrunner would get out and everything the coyote tried to do backfired on him. I mean, he just totally backfired on him. I mean, you, you just remember, you know, the road right, and he'd just take off down the road, and the coyote would have all this dynamite. Why dynamite was the favorite thing, I don't know. And how he lived through all those dynamite explosions, I don't know. I know it wasn't reality TV, it wasn't as much fun, but it was fun for me at the moment. But here's what you got to understand. God's got your back. God's got your back. And you can spend your life trying to chase your adversaries and your opponents and those who have betrayed you. And you can spend your life trying to make people convinced that you're right and they're wrong. But it's not going to change anything. That's why David prays. And even in this time, he didn't hold bitterness in his heart. He turned to God, but he was honest to God in his praying. You know, sometimes, folks, 
Listen, we're just not honest with God in our praying. I want to tell you something. In times when I felt betrayed, when I felt turned on, I didn't go to God and, and sing praise courses. I told him how I felt. That's honest praying. And if you can't do honest praying, you're not talking to God. You're trying to press God how spiritual you are. And he says, really? Are you kidding me? I know how you feel. I know your heart. Just go ahead and say it. By the way, better to say it to God than say it to somebody else. God will listen and God will hear and God will know. And that's where we pour out and begin to get God's perspective. Now, there's three things here. If you look within, you're going to get discouraged. If you look within, you're going to get discouraged. And that's just what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to get discouraged and depressed. If you look around, you're going to be disappointed. Because you're going to say, well, maybe I can find people that won't betray me. They're, they're, you can, cannot live an immune life. But if you look up, you'll be delighted. Because listen, when you're talking to God, you're talking to a father whose own son was betrayed. So God knows what betrayal feels like. God knows what somebody turning their back on you feels like. God knows exactly what you feel and far more. Betrayal. Chapter uh, Psalm 50 and verse 15, call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Verse 6, David says, I willingly, I will sacrifice to you. You see, David said, God, I know you're in charge, and so I'm just going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, let's look at the God who understands betrayal. Let's go to Psalm 55. Let me give you, before we get to the, the, the points that will come up on the screen, let me give you three things here, and they all start with T. Verses 1 through 3, there's trouble. Psalm 55, verses 1 through 3, there's trouble. Verses 4 and 5, there's terror within. He's afraid. In verses 12 through 15 and verse 21, there's treachery. There's treachery. So he's dealing with trouble, with terror, and with treachery. Here's a man who is going through it. I mean, he's going through it. He's having a tough time. And, and David gives his complaint in verses 1 through 8. And I just really wanted to break this down into two things. First of all, there's a complaint. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I am surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Now, in this psalm, Saul is dead. Now, this is a trouble from a friend. Look at verse 2. He's restless. Verse 4, there's anguish. Verse 5, there's fear and trembling and horror. 
I mean, life is beating him up. It's like David can't get a break. Everywhere he turns, every phase of his life, he feels betrayed. He feels pursued. Here's a man after God's own heart, but he's in, in anguish and he's in fear and trembling. And he, he just says, Lord, if I could just get away from it all. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Lord, I'd just like to lock the door, get in my car, and drive and just go somewhere where I don't know anybody and nobody knows me and start over. I mean, you can be at a point, and many of us have been, where it'd be easier to run than to face the issue. It would be easier to run than to face the music. It would be easier to run than to face the accusations and the betrayals. And here's David who says, God, if I could just get away, I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. But here's the problem with problems. They always find you. You can't outrun them. You can't fly above them and you can't go deep enough to get away from them. They're always there. Because this world is full of people. And people have problems. And sometimes they spill over on you. Sometimes you feel betrayed. Now look at the condemnation in verse 9 through 15. Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife. Now notice where all of this is going on. I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around here, her upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. In the city, upon her walls, in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. I mean, David says, I can't go outside without meeting the results and the consequences of this betrayal. It's everywhere I turn. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling and in their midst. The enemy is no longer outside. The enemy is inside. Violence and strife and iniquity and mischief and oppression and deceit. Wickedness was all around. And in verse 9, David is praying that the enemy would be confused when he says, divide their tongues. It's an obvious reference to the Tower of Babel. In other words, what he's saying is, Lord, don't let them be able to get together and pool up together and join forces together against me. Keep them confused where they can't get organized. By the way, that's a good prayer to pray for the people who are enemies in this city, that they never can get organized. What would happen if the gangs couldn't get organized? What would happen if the drug dealers and the prostitutes couldn't get organized? And they were confused. And they had no power because the power had been removed from them because like the Tower of Babel, they couldn't communicate. 
David is praying that, that God will confuse the enemies so that the forces of God can come together. And when we have revival, we will see our streets no longer filled with violence and strife and iniquity and mischief and oppression and deceit. Divide their tongues. Verses 12 through 14, he moves from the general to the specific and he talks about a friend. Uh, just for the sake of time, let me tell you, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and the friend was an advisor. It was Bathsheba's grandfather. So here's a man who's a part of his family who had sat at his table, who had eaten his food, who had walked with him to the tabernacle to worship, who had sung the songs that David had written, who had praised God beside David, who had now joined forces with David's son, who had also betrayed him. So it's not just his son. Now his son has an advisor to whom David has shared his innermost heart and his most intimate times with God. And he's betrayed by him. David said, you know, it's one thing for the Edomites. It's another thing for either, even people in Judah. But, but here's Bathsheba's grandfather who has turned on me. My son has turned on me. Bathsheba's grandfather has turned on me. People that I have put in a position to be successful and prosperous have turned on me. This nation has turned on me. I've been betrayed. And David can't believe that after all that they had been through, that this is the kind of treatment that he would have gotten. Spurgeon said, none are such real enemies as false friends. You know, you wonder sometimes why people want to be your friend. You ever wondered why some people want to be your friend on Facebook? You know, you sit there and look and go, I don't know these people. I mean, I got a whole list of things, you know, just names on there. I don't know them. Why they want to be my friends? I, I know that I've had to block some people who have an agenda. There are members of the gay and lesbian community that have followed me on Twitter and on Facebook that I've had to block because of the vile nature of things that they say and the things that they're trying to say. You see, you better be careful who you say is your friend because in the social media world, your friend can put a word out on you that is absolutely based in lies and hundreds of people will believe it because if it's on the internet, it's true. betrayed. Some of you in this room have been friends with somebody on Facebook and they've put something on Facebook and betrayed you and you still foolishly put yourself in a position to be betrayed by others because you just go, oh man, I got more friends than you. No, you don't. You got more potential enemies is who you've got. They're not your friends. I've said to people, if I can find six people to carry my casket out when I die, I will be a blessed man. Because the truth of the matter is, a lot of people that you think are your friends, if you go through tough times, you'll find out who they really are. 
I've got friends in churches that have gone through crisis and have gotten more prayer cards from this church than they've gotten from their own church where they've been 10 and 15 years. Betrayed. Here's a guy that has done everything with David. I mean, they've gotten up, they've talked about church, they've talked about the sermon, they've gone to the sacrifices together, and all of a sudden he cuts him out. This quote says, To have trusted and to find his trust betrayed, to have been one with a man in public and in private, bound to him by personal ties and by the ties of religion, and then to find honor, faith, affection, all cast to the winds. This, is, this it was that seemed so terrible. This is what called for a withering curse. In fact, what David prays for in verse 15 is really nothing less than what uh, Korah's rebellion brought about in Numbers chapter 16. David was going on precedent. He was going on history. And then lastly, there's a confession in verses 16 through 23. I want you to notice how often David prays, not how often he went and talked to other people about it, but how often David prays. Verse 16 of chapter 55, As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur. But who's he complaining and murmuring to? God. He's talking to God about it. And he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For they are many who strive with me. Now in verses 19 and 20, David has a hard time forgetting. Don't we all? I mean, if, if you don't have a, you know, anybody ever said this? I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Just remember, God forgives and forgets. He casts our sins into a sea of forgetfulness, and He remembers it no more. So we need to pray so we can get to the point to be like Christ and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We need to get that point. David was, was struggling with these betrayers. Verse 21, his speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Here was David's problem. His problem wasn't his pain. His problem wasn't even the betrayal. His problem was he was in a covenant relationship with this brother, and the covenant was broken. He was a father to a son who broke the bonds of family. This is what hurt him, is that it was so close to him that it just about took him under. Verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But you, O oh God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. By the way, betrayers never win in the end. The truth 
always comes out. Truth is on your side if you're walking in the truth. You see, David said, I know my heart. I know who I am. I know my life. And I'm going to trust in you, God, to fix all this. You imagine that David probably didn't want to get up during the time of Absalom's rebellion and read the squawk box. Because people were saying things about him that weren't true. You think he got tired of it? But he says, I'm going to complain and murmur, not in the squawk box, not in a letter to the editor, not in my Sunday school class. I'm going to complain to God about this. So I want to give you some principles for how to handle betrayal, and then we'll be through. Number one, remember God has the last word. God does have the last word. Now, if you try to get the last word, you're going to rob God of what he's trying to do. God has the last word. And God's going to set all accounts right. Nobody is going to stand before God and say, God, you owe me. Second one, nobody gets away with anything. There's a judgment coming. Nobody gets away with anything. So you say, I can't believe they got away with that. They didn't get away with anything. There's a judgment coming where every person is going to have to get an account of their lives. Thirdly, remember difficulties can be used to discipline you. Difficulties can be used to discipline you. Now, most of us don't like discipline. Now, there's some of us, I mean, you know, you get up and you run and you exercise and you work out. God bless you. I'm praying that you'll be delivered from all that. <laughs> be like the rest of us. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the, the two little old ladies that died and went to heaven. They saw the streets of gold and the gates of pearl, and they said, if we hadn't eaten all those bran muffins, we'd have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> hey, if it's fried, God's in it. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> But it could be used to discipline you. God could be using it to get you to depend on him because right now you're depending on yourself and your schemes and your wisdoms and your ideas and your thoughts and your plan of attack. And God's trying to get you to be disciplined, to take it all to him and not try to deal with it yourself, not try to defend yourself, but let God be your defense. By the way, can I just tell you? If you read 1 John chapter 1, it says we have an advocate in heaven. That means he's a lawyer. Now, if Jesus can be an effective lawyer for me at the throne of God, at the accusations of Satan, I believe he can be a, an effective lawyer for me in a petty thing. Because Satan accuses me of stuff people don't even know about. But if God can be my defense attorney before the devil and plead his blood on my behalf, then I think he can handle any petty conflict we've got going on down here. So we just have to learn to trust him. And we have to be disciplined to turn those things into prayer. And then finally, remember that anything that drives you to pray is a blessing. Anything that drives you to pray is a blessing.
I remember one of those moments here, and uh, I, I called some friends for sympathy. I, I hadn't gotten to the point in my spiritual life where I could just say, Lord, I'm just going to talk to you about this. So I called some friends for some sympathy, and I got some from a few. You know, a few of them, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Let me pray with you. And then I called Ron Dunn. And I was just whining and belly aching. I can't believe this. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm just, I'm frothing. My nostrils are flaring. I mean, I'm on the phone. Terry can hear me on the other side of the house. I can't believe this is not right. And Ron just says, oh, Michael, stop, stop, stop. So I'm waiting. I have my pen out now for some <laughs> divine wisdom. He said, just stop it. You're making me miss the pastorate. I said, what? He said, you're making me miss the pastorate. I said, that's it? He said, anything that causes you to pray is a blessing. And he hung up. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the phone. Do I call him back? <laughs> did, uh, did I wake you up? Did you miss what I just said to you? Anything that causes you to pray is a blessing. And I'll tell you something. He was right. Sometimes you don't like what God puts in your life that causes you to pray. But anything that causes you to pray is a blessing. Because when you get everybody outside of the picture and it's just you and God, then you find the sufficiency of our Savior in whatever moment you're going through so don't be discouraged when you feel betrayed tell God Ron's not here anymore you can't call him tell God turn it over to him get on your face somewhere and just cry out to God and say God do you know do you care do you understand what I'm going through and here's what he'll tell you. My son does. And when you see him face to face in heaven, you'll see nails, nail scars, hands and feet. You'll see them. And they're there because Judas betrayed him, but they're there because Adam and Eve betrayed him. And you're a child of Adam and Eve. And he still loved you and gave his life for you. So however much you feel betrayed... You can't trump Jesus on betrayal. What we need to learn is to learn how to pray for our enemies the way Jesus prayed for his.